This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who is joining us at Rotowire headquarters in Madison, Wisconsin. He's a great follow at AJ Scholes24. Well, this past week was notable as our teams played each other twice, and the home side dominated in each of those contests, but then both clubs faltered against their other foes later in the week. We'll deal with that later on in the show, but we have a lot of trades to review with the passing of the trade deadline yesterday, so I hope uh, you're ready to get into that summary with me, AJ. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a busy day yesterday. Um, if you want uh, kind of instant analysis, uh, I posted a bunch of videos throughout the day on my Twitter. Uh, you can head over there and, and check those out. Uh, like I said, throughout the day, as quick as I could, I tried to get in and record a, a short little video for you so you can maybe find your team if you just want to see that or, or check them all out. But before we kick off the rest of the shows, I'll remind our listeners that uh, every week, if you have questions, about your lineups, fantasy hockey, or just hockey in general, you can tweet at us and we'll answer those questions for you. Uh, as Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes24 and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. All right, partner, let's get into this. What we're going to do is a little bit of a departure from our normal format, and we're just going to look at the players that were added by each team, and we're going to alternate with our notes, too, so that AJ gets first crack at half the teams and I do the other half. And we'll begin, as, as we usually do, with the Anaheim Ducks. They made a lot of moves, uh, a lot of players moving in and out. The most notable coming in for me, Sonny Milano, Christian Jews, a defenseman, and Danton Heinen, who was in the doghouse in Boston. They also added a couple of draft picks, a condition fourth in 2020 and a sixth round pick in 2022 that they acquired from nashville aj for me this is uh, padding the bottom six here in anaheim and i'm looking for a couple of these guys to slot in down there i'm looking for particularly sunny milano to get a shot to show some skill and uh, offensive upside i don't think the columbus system was really suited to this guy and i do see a better fit for him in anaheim christian jews more of a depth defenseman too should help solidify the back end there in in with with the Ducks as they have a little bit of uh, a need back there as well. Danton Heinen, I'm looking for him to maybe push even for a top six role. 
going forward. Those are my observations on the Ducks. What do you think about uh, their current landscape? Yeah, I think they they did some good work here in in the fact that some of the guys that that they parted way with parted ways with were um, going to be you know not under contract, so they did bolster that up. I mean, you look at this team uh, for next year; you only have three UFAs on the roster uh, or pending UFAs on the roster now, and so they they did some good work. I actually really like the addition of Matt Irwin. Um, he's kind of been stuck in that logjam at in Nashville in terms of who uh, you know who gets to play or not i think he'll get more opportunities uh with the ducks and perhaps can show them enough he is one of those three ufas that i mentioned so show them enough to kind of earn a spot as you mentioned Sonny milano kind of a flyer on him and then one non-trade player that they added they claimed andrew agazino uh from the penguins off waivers uh this is a, a young kind of up-and-coming kid that played plenty of time uh, for Pittsburgh due to some injuries there. So I think he could be a solid bottom six guy for them as well. As we move on to the Arizona Coyotes, uh, pretty slow for them in terms of yesterday. They added Marcus Hanekanen from Columbus. But other than that, they didn't really add any additional players. Now, of course, they got their work done months ago in bringing in Taylor Hall uh, and, and getting him in. So I didn't expect there to be a lot of work here for Arizona. Um, I thought maybe one or two, maybe other deals. But for the most part, their biggest news has been on the injury front with with Darcy Kemper. But he looks like he's going to be close to coming back. And Jacob Chisharin is dealing with an injury as well. Um, so we'll they'll hopefully get him back to do soon. And obviously, uh, you know, the rest of the, the lineup is pretty set there yeah i'm i'm curious to see how barrett hayden uh looks with a run as a third line center it's a great spot that a lot of teams are putting their young top prospects in aj to see that they don't get top defensive pairings against them and top checking lines against them this guy's a skill player was team canada's captain on the recent world junior hockey championship winning team uh the other question that i have is what the heck is going to happen with taylor hall he's had a pretty nice season with anaheim arizona 50 points in 60 games and and he's been scoring very regularly of late too so it looks like on the ice he's fitting in here and he he would be a centerpiece going forward but they have to re-sign him and that's going to be the looming question over the summer what happens there and this team is still on the fringe of of a playoff spot too clinging to the second wild card so you wonder if a good playoff could really boost this guy's pocketbook he certainly should have the motivation there and uh, with Darcy Kemper returning from a lower body injury their goaltending should be in very capable hands with two experienced uh, hands on deck there the next team up is the Boston Bruins they also did a little bit of work yesterday adding Nick Ritchie to the lineup and uh, we mentioned Heinen departing didn't really fit in there but Ritchie gives this team more muscle as if they need it they've got a very uh, aggressive roster uh, I'll say and Ritchie might be motivated to be uh, the newest piece there that that plays the Boston style uh, to a T so I like this fit for for him and I think he could even threaten for a top six role once he gets his feet wet here looking for the biggest things from him because he was a former first round pick AJ and things really never have panned out for him also note uh, in the nets that Tuka Rask is getting more goalie starts of late it was a pretty much a split for the first 50 games between him and Yarrow Halak but uh, Tuka Rask now playing in six of the last eight games I believe there 
I think that's, you know, indicative of what we're going to see here down the stretch. He's going to get a little bit more work, kind of build that up because you can't have split the entire season and then suddenly be asked to go every other night, you know, in a potential seven game series uh, throughout the postseason. So I'm I'm not surprised to see that workload ticking up a little bit, um, you know, maybe end of March, you'll see a little bit of a dip just to get him some last minute rest before the postseason. Um, but overall, I, I'm not surprised by seeing the workload go up there. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, I think we're a team kind of caught in the middle. If I'm being completely honest here, they couldn't really decide, are they buyers or sellers? They added Wayne Simmons, which was definitely a buyer's move. Uh, but then they let two guys go in exchange for Dominic Cahoon, uh, who is still dealing with a bit of an injury there. So uh, a bit strange. The departed guys, uh, Evan Rodriguez, Connor Sheary, and then they only gave up a, a conditional fifth round pick to get in Wayne Simmons. So I thought it's a great deal. It just felt like this team stuck in the middle. And I think that's indicative of where they are in the standings right now. They're they're sixth uh in terms of a wild card spot. So they're, they're four spots back from Columbus. Uh, you know, overall points is a pretty big gap. It's 10 point gap. They do have two games in hand, so there's some work to be done. And I think they just, they didn't do enough to convince me that they were buyers. And then they didn't do enough to convince me they were sellers either. And I think that their GM there got caught in the middle um, and and couldn't really figure out what he had to do there. And so I, I expect this team to maybe struggle here down the stretch. And ultimately, there may be some some deals that were on the table that they will look back on and say, ah, maybe we should have done that as, as true sellers in this market. Good call there, AJ. I'm liking what I'm seeing from the goaltending tandem here. Carter Hutton has had five straight starts. His record is four and one in those, and uh, he let in six goals in one game, but was stellar in the other ones, allowing only nine in those four wins. Jonas Johansson has also looked good. Four appearances in the nets and a total of eight goals against, so he's getting good goaltending as well. So it's the, the, the net is in good hands, but uh, I, I think you're right. This looks like a bit of a situation of being half pregnant here. They didn't really go all in <laughs> one way or the other uh, as buyers or sellers, just kind of plodding along. That's been the nature of this season as they're just a little bit over the 500 mark. And like you said, they've got a couple of teams to cross over in the wild card race and a couple of teams that are uh, admittedly not playing very well in their division who are ahead of them. But still, it's hard to pass uh, more than a couple of teams uh, at this late stage in the season, particularly when there's more divisional games ahead. I guess they're going to have to do a clean sweep when they play uh, their division rivals going forward to have the best chance, but it is a long shot at this point. The Calgary Flames, 2-1 and one was their record last week. Uh, Mar- uh, Sean Monaghan challenged to make up for a big drop in his point total has had a better run of late. Andrew Manjapani's been good as well. But in terms of the deals here, I really like what they did on the back end, AJ. They have been banged up on the defense for a while, and they added a couple of guys that I think should help. Derek Forbert was getting top four minutes in L.A., and uh, he was looking okay in that role. He should be well insulated with a better team around him in Calgary, but it's Eric Gustafsson's uh, addition that really has me excited here. This guy was a top point producer in the league has fallen off dramatically this season in Chicago and I think he'll be motivated and he might get a shot even on the power play uh, with a good group around him in Calgary to uh, return to the status that he enjoyed last season so it's that part of the deal that I really like for in terms of the moves that Calgary made yesterday and uh, it didn't really cost them a lot when you look at it so uh, good moves by by Calgary at the deadline to fortify a defense that needed help 
Yeah, the one kind of criticism, if, if I have one, of, of what they did is that they very clearly and, and rightly so uh, adjusted their uh, deadline strategy based on the injuries. Without Mark Giordano, without Travis Hamanick, this team needed blue line help, and they went out and got it. Good on them there. But if you look back in, in what people were saying in the you know month, um, a month, two months ago, this, there was talk about how this team needed to add forward depth on this club. You know, they they weren't getting a, a ton of production out of Milan Lucic. Uh, he kind of had a, a, a decent February, although he's starting to taper off a little bit there. And so the the biggest thing heading into, you know, prior to those guys getting hurt was they need to add some forward depth. You know, maybe a guy that can score and go out there and adjust uh, address that issue and unfortunately because of the injuries they had to change that plan so they really weren't able to add any forwards and so that has me concerned for them in the long term playoff team for sure they'll make the playoffs but how far can they get relying on just the guys that they have now one team that didn't make any mistakes at the trade deadline here was the carolina hurricanes and i if i have to pick a winner of the day it absolutely for me is the hurricanes they bring in two solid defensemen in brady skay and sammy vatnin both of those guys will add uh different dimensions to their to their blue line but they are dealing with you know they lost dougie hamilton brett pesci is dealing with an injury so they get um, some bolster, uh, some bolstered blue line help there. And then they also went out and made the huge deal to bring in Vinny Trocek in for, for my money. I don't think they really gave up that much. You've got Eric Halla who's dealt with uh, a bevy of knee injuries. And so how good can he be remains to be seen. And then a handful of untested guys in Walmart, Prisky, uh, Freddie Clayson was part of the, the Vatanen deal. And so really, I don't think they gave up a whole lot in terms of bolstering their win now NHL group. You get Vincent Trocek, who I think is a lock for uh, you know 50 points this year. Obviously, the big concern was a couple nights before uh, with Mrazek and Reimer getting injured. There was talk that maybe they would go in on those guys. But, uh, Paul, I'll let you give a rundown of, of the two minor league guys and, and let me know what you think of them and can they carry the load for these guys while uh, Reimer and Mrazek are out. Yeah, we don't know how long they're going to be out, AJ. I would suggest that Reimer's situation, not a long-term one. Mrazek, I'm less certain. But Nadelkovic and Forsberg both have some NHL experience. You're not going to hang your hat on a long playoff run on either one of these guys. So they got to hope that one or both of their incumbents does uh, return to the starting fold. But in addition to the player moves, which you identified uh, as very solid moves for this team, they've got other players who are really contributing of late, too. Warren Fogel's a guy that I was scratching my head why he was included in the top six for a couple of weeks, but he's certainly proving me wrong as he's continuing to chip in points on a regular basis, bringing good physicality to that group as well, which they're mostly skilled players there. So he's a good foil for that, picking up four points in his last five games. Trocek for my money, I think that he slides into a second-line role here at center, and that moves Jordan Stahl down to a more appropriate center role on the third line as a checking center. That's where his bread has been buttered for years, and I know you got a chance to see that up close and personal in pit, so you'll slightly concur to that. On defense, they're also noting that in addition to these additions uh, with Shea and Vatnan, uh, Jacob's, Jacob Slavin is having a career best season. This guy's got 10 points in his last 12 games and a plus 27 on the year. The rich got richer in terms of the defensive depth and 
I like to highlight that because when you're going into the playoffs, it's a game of attrition if you expect to go long. And the Hurricanes have really set themselves up that way, particularly on the back end. I just wonder if they have enough scoring to, to augment that, and that's my concern for this team going forward. The Chicago Blackhawks went 1-2 and two last week. The goalie situation uh, looking ahead was a little murky but with, with Leonard being traded, and Corey Crawford looks like he's going to stick around. Both of these guys were pending UFAs, so they made their choice, and look like they're going to they're going to ride Crawford again again next year is what I forecast there. Uh, Ryan Carpenter has been a disappointment. They're trying to find a second line center answer. Uh, Dylan Strom struggling in that role and moved off to the wing and Ryan Carpenter is getting a look now. No points in a, and two shots on goal over, over the last three games. Another guy that they added on who I thought would be a good fit here was Alex Nylander. He's also failing to grab an opportunity and now relegated a fourth line role. Uh, your old buddy Oli Mata, not a high scoring defenseman. You'll note that as well but uh, the Hawks have to like this guy's plus six and there's not too many defensemen in the league that uh, get over 100 hits and 100 block shots uh, this guy is going to be north of both figures and uh, that's those are a couple of stats that factor into some of the deeper pools that are around right now in terms of the moves at the trade deadline they tinkered around the edges of course the departure is more notable than the t- people coming in tj brennan an offensive-minded defenseman uh, in the minors, he's never really made the grade at the NHL level, and I don't expect that to change in Chicago. Malcolm Subban ran out of favor in, in Vegas, and he uh, slots in as the backup goalie in the near term. Maybe he gets a shot at the, at the role next year if, if they decide to part ways with their other incumbent uh, big-ticket goalie in Crawford. So interesting to see what might happen in Chicago in the offseason for me. Well, here, for uh, our listeners out there, I'll, I'll throw out a, a crazy idea, but I, I think it could certainly work. They let Crawford walk. Malcolm Subban is your presumptive uh, backup. They do have Colin D'Elia in the minors. And then they make a run this summer at trying to get Henrik Lundqvist. He's got one year left next year. $8.5 million is the cap hit. Now, we know the Blackhawks have never been a team with a lot of cap space, but for one year, and, you know, depending what they give back, maybe the Rangers are willing to retain two and a half, one and a half of that to make this a, a bit of an easier swallow. Uh, I, I think that could be a real uh, good fit there. I was asked recently, um, you know, if if uh, Corey uh, uh, Carey Price could be moved. And I just don't see that 10.5 deal being, uh, you know, salvageable with with most teams. And that was my initial thought with Chicago. But. Again, I think the cap hit for for Henrik Lundqvist makes it uh, a little more palatable. Uh, so maybe that's something that they're they're looking at there. Or as I said, they could go and see what Subban and, and Delia can offer them. When you've got guys like Taves and Kane in front of you, obviously uh, there there are ways to win without solid net mining. Uh, another team looking to address some net mining it was the Colorado Avalanche yesterday. They brought in Paul's uh, old buddy Michael Hutchinson <laughs> to kind of shore things up with with the injury concerns that they have there. Uh, with Philip Grubauer being out, I figure, uh, you know, they're kind of just banking on Grubauer getting back uh, at some point here, although he remains without a clear timeline. Frank Kuz, uh and Hutchinson will, you know, man the nets until they get back. And then the other bit of business, Vladislav Nemestikov comes in. They got him for just a 2021 20, fourth round pick, uh, a bit of a steal there. I think Nemestikov slides in potentially top six role for them while Miko Rantanen's out uh, and could really be 
a solid contributor for them. His numbers have been down this year, but that's, you know, everybody on Ottawa would probably say their numbers are down this year. Yeah. Uh, so I think he can definitely still hit 30. And maybe if he goes on a run, plays some time, maybe uh, with McKinnon, uh, could get a look at that top line and, and really produce for them that way. There's no timeline, AJ, on the Philip Grubauer situation, so they had to run out and get a, some sort of a backup. Hutchison, not the answer, in my opinion. He really flopped in Toronto, and I don't know. Get, maybe getting out of this pressure cooker might give him a chance to reset, but I really don't think he's the answer there. So they're going to lean on Francouz, and he picked up three wins last week, allowing only two, two goals against in those outings. So he, he has had an, a nice run of late, but uh, whether he can keep it up, without uh, his stellar partner uh, give, spelling him once in a while uh, at the very least uh, remains to be seen. In terms of what's going on around them, Miko Rantanen out with an upper body injury. Boy, that first first line here been decimated. Nathan McKinnon has seen uh, Landis Cog and Rantanen missing su- substantial time this season. Hasn't slowed him down. He's been like a runaway train in terms of scoring ability all year long. Nemesnikov, as you said, will slot in likely on a second unit here, so bolstering that offense in, on the second line has always been a priority and it's too bad they're missing Nazem Kadri as well he he was a great part of a, a good early run for a, the second unit here and he'll be missing for a little while too so in his stead uh, Comfer is going to be pressed into duty likely as the second line center there up next we got to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets they lost they won the only game on Monday night uh, 4-3 overtime victory with Felino picking up a pair of goals Stefan Matteau with a single and Benstrom who's had been hot uh, scoring the winner in overtime uh, injury news, Mirza Lincoln's uh, in the Nets goes down, and Corpusello, who's recently returned to lineup, gets back in the Nets and receded for the win. It looks like they're going to lean on him going forward with uh, the uncertain nature of Mirza Lincoln's injury. AJ, I wonder if you have any more f- information there. Give you a chance to look at it while I continue to ramble here. Uh, right winger Oliver Bjorkstrand has a broken angle, it's ankle. It's been determined he's out for the season. That's a tough blow for this team on the fringe of playoff contention. Uh, as This guy was a guy who was contributing a lot of good offense there. Nick Felino and Nathan Gerby now are the new 1-2 on right wing. Uh, Nick Foligno continuing a nice run of offense most recently. Another blow to this team on the injury front. Cam Atkinson out with an ankle injury. That means Gustav Nyquist is going to be relied upon to do some of the scoring from the starboard side. And he hasn't done it of late. No goals and three helpers in his last 10 games played. I mentioned Stefan Matteau on a really nice run. Signed recently and promoted to the big club. He now has points in all three games that he's played. And uh, looking like uh, he's going to get a good run at left wing on the second unit, AJ. Well, Paul, I could certainly forgive you for forgetting that this team added uh, some depth here with Devin Shore. Uh, you know, really didn't do much here at at the deadline. And we're talking about a club that's got seven uh, uh, seven guys, eight rather, eight guys on IR not including Oliver Borkshan, who's pretty much done for the season. Riley Nash also got hurt last night in addition to Mirza Lickens. Uh, so, yeah, they get Corpusala back, but then they lose uh, Elvis there. And so uh, they're kind of stuck with, with what they have. And it's really unfortunate that this club has been so banged up. And I think that, uh, you know, last year, I think factored into why they were so quiet at the deadline here. They don't have any pending UFAs on their roster right now, so they didn't really have to make a move. So I think from that standpoint, you just look at this as a lost season uh, due to injury and you move on. You do the best you can and hope maybe at some point you get some of those guys back. But I think uh, with, you know, around 20 games left to go, I don't expect them to, to 
you know, really uh, make make a strong run here. Uh, in fact, they only have 18 with Carolina, Florida, and the Rangers all kind of biting at their heels for for that wild card spot. And you know, we talked about Carolina, so. I would be shocked if Columbus makes the playoffs if they don't get some of these guys back sooner rather than later. Dallas is one of the few teams that did even less. Uh, they traded a 2026 20, round pick uh, for for a prospect with Florida, but otherwise they just stayed pat with the team that they have, which is certainly understandable when you look at their lineup. They've got solid net mining. They've got eight blue liners who can all play uh, and offer different things throughout the lineup. And then they've got decent forward depth. You know, right now they, they've got Pavelski and Radulov on their third line. They've got Jamie Ben anchoring the second and Tyler Sagan up on the first with Corey Perry. I really didn't feel that this team needed to make any additions. I don't know uh, how you felt, Paul. Well, I, I do think they've got a defensive structure that they've been leaning heavily on, and they were top-heavy in terms of their contributions from the offense, and they're trying to address that of late, uh, partner. It looks like Corey Perry's getting a rare look as a top-liner, and he's fitting in with points in, three points in his last three games played. Tyler Sagan, really the catalyst there, though, uh, snapping out of a slump a few games ago. He's now got seven points in his last seven games played and in terms of stretching their roster they're trying something with the third line Joe Pavelski's bounced around from center to right wing all season long he's in back in the middle again in that third unit four points in his last five games played and he's been joined by Radiloff who was uh, been a top six guy six guy most of the time that he spent in Dallas he's got two assists in his last three games and this is really a clear attempt to as I said stretch the offense out over the top nine forwards here to see if they can change up the fortunes offensively a little bit I say uh, keep an eye on Matthias Janmark he could be a guy who benefits from this revamped structure as he's the third member on that Pavelski and Radiloff unit uh, we look over to the Detroit Red Wings and it's I know it's been a tough year for a lot of your colleagues in the home office who are Red Wings fans uh, a historically bad season in the salary cap era I'll say for any team in terms of what happened for this club on the deadline Sam Gagne and Cal Brodziak two veteran guys that they plucked uh, out of the Edmonton situation and they also added a couple of draft picks that's what it's about for this team now they got to try and uh, assemble uh, as many draft picks as they can they continued to deal with Edmonton to, to get those picks, a 2020 second rounder, a 2021 second rounder, and a conditional fourth rounder in 2020 as well. Uh, going out the door, we saw Mike Green, a veteran defenseman. You knew he was going to be sought after, in the, and he goes to uh, Edmonton. We'll talk about that, the impact there. Andreas Athanasio, the biggest name out the door, too. And I know, AJ, you have some strong feelings about that. So why don't I just flip it over to you and tell me what you think about the Detroit Red Wings and what they did over here. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they really brought in a, a whole bunch. They get a couple second-round picks out of Edmonton, so those will certainly uh, be helpful. But with the market the way it was, I'm a little surprised they couldn't uh, pry, pry a first-rounder uh, away from Edmonton. I don't love the the departure of AA. I, you know, there have been uh, you know talks about him, you know not playing at his absolute best from time to time. And certainly they could be in a, a dogfight or, or now it's Edmonton's problem, but they could be in a dogfight in terms of his contract this year as he's going to be an RFA this summer. But I don't think this team got any better by not having AA on it. And, and so I, I really don't, um, 
don't love the moves that they made here. I think the best move, honestly, that they did yesterday was to take uh, Dmitry Timoshov off waivers from from the Maple Leafs. Young, uh, young, twenty-two-year-old uh, winger that's got four goals and five assists in, in thirty-nine games this season while playing just a little over eight minutes per night. He'll get way more than that with uh, you know with the the Red Wings. He'll be a regular, I think. Um, for them could even get the occasional look in a top six role because why not if you're Detroit certainly you want to see some of these youngsters playing as much as they can so I I think the best move that they made had nothing to do with the trade deadline there Uh, we'll talk about Edmonton right away here Uh, fortunately they're they're in alphabetical order so it makes this one easy Um, I like the addition of AA for for Edmonton Um, obviously yeah so the thing that I think uh, would be interesting to see you know line combinations are going to be super fluid over the next couple of days we're going to see a lot of shuffling around but boy do I want to see Athanasiu playing alongside Connor McDavid you could put the slowest NHLer in the league uh, on that line with those guys, and they still might come out with the fastest average uh, of any line in in the NHL right now. McDavid and AA have so much speed. This is going to be incredible to watch. Three on three. I know they normally do, uh, you know, two forwards and, and a defenseman. If I'm the head coach at Edmonton, I put Drysaddle, McDavid, and AA, and just play keep away with the puck because nobody's going to be able to catch you, um, and they'll just win any any games the rest of the way that way. In my opinion, the Mike Green ad, I'm not as high on. Um, I you know I'm not sure what he has left in the the tank. Has dealt with injuries the last several seasons, um, and so I, I'm not really sold on that. In, in part, I think Ken Holland went. Uh, back to the well that he was comfortable with, and, I, and I'm not sure it was necessarily the right choice there. Well, I'm going to take you up on that one. Uh, I, I kind of think that one of the things about Mike Green that is notable, he's always in a power, been a power play quarterback type. They sorely need that in, in Edmonton, and if there's one thing that this guy is all about, it's that particular thing. It's a great fit for him in that regard, if he can dial back to what he should know from muscle memory and, and his career experience. And I'm curious to see how they sh- they set up their offense going forward. Uh, I would love to see what Rotowire currently shows Athanasiu on the right side with Connor McDavid, but it's the left bringer that uh, that has m- piqued my interest. Tyler Ennis, who I got to see in Toronto in fits and starts. Whenever this guy got a top six opportunity, he produced. There's he's got an abundance of offensive skill, and hey, you and I would look good on Connor McDavid's wing for sure. But <laughs> but Tyler Ennis, this guy's got an offensive upside, and it could be peaked with a very cheap DFS option. Uh, you can fit him in going forward, and maybe stack that line. Uh, it would be a good look uh, to your roster and one that wouldn't cost you or break your bank. I know McDavid would, but the combo on his wings uh, could be low-rent district for a little while anyway. Up next, we talk about the Florida Panthers, and boy, the head-scratching move of the day for me was with with them sending Vinny Trocek out the door. You know, they they were missing a second-line center for years. Then they finally get one in Trocek. Then they turn around and trade him. I mean, maybe they wanted to stretch their roster a little bit in the middle because the return was Halla and L- Lucas Walmark in return. And so uh, getting a little more length in their roster is something that they hope to achieve with this deal. But I think the best player went out the door. And when you measure a trade, sometimes in a two-for-one, it's the best player going the other way that, that wins the, t- the trade for the, the team that 
uh, gets them. In terms of the net minding, Sergei Bobrovsky really not delivering. We've, I've been harping on this for weeks, it seems. It's eight of the last ten outings now where he's allowed three or more goals against. Chris Dreger is ready to come back from the IR and might be somebody they plug in uh, just to get a better goaltending in the short term while Bobrovsky really tries to sort things out. I don't have a lot of faith in that guy. I didn't from the get-go, and he's proven me right, AJ. I think what's interesting about the Trochak deal here is this kind of feels like they were trying to achieve two things at the same time. They wanted to build uh, some of the depth uh, in the organization and get some prospects, but they also didn't necessarily want to compromise their NHL roster right now. And I think, unfortunately, I think they got neither. Um, I don't think they did enough in terms of Hall and Walmart to to make this uh, a win, you know, a, a better team now. Obviously, those guys aren't going to equal Trochuk, but then they didn't do enough in terms of the prospects they got to build towards the future. Um, if I'm Mike Hoffman or Evgeny Dadnoff, uh, I'm telling uh, my agent as of you know yesterday's move, hey. Start trying to find me something outside of Florida because I don't necessarily want to be back with a team that's going to send its best player away when you're in the hunt for a playoff spot. I mean, there's no way that the Florida Panthers, who have 70 points, they're six back of Columbus with two games in hand. Yes, Carolina and the Rangers are are in between them, but they certainly are in the mix there. I mean, shoot, they're only two back at Toronto in the Atlantic. They could compete for that spot, too, with a game in hand. And so I just can't imagine that the guys left in that locker room, Huberto, Barkov, are real thrilled about what uh, the front office did uh, yesterday. Good call. Uh, from there, we'll move on to the L.A. Kings, who... Uh, did most of their work uh, outside of outside of yesterday, um, but they did have one kind of minor deal, uh, and they sent Forbert uh, to Carolina. They get a conditional fourth round pick in 2021, so really not a ton of work there. Um, I think the questions here were: Were they going to move off uh, some of the other guys? Uh, Trevor Lewis being chief among them, and they just didn't, I think, find uh, something that they were willing to work with there, and so. Uh, from here, you'll see guys like uh, Gabriel Velarde and uh, uh, Martin Furk get more ice time here as we head down the stretch, and they'll try and figure out and answer the question, what do we have in these guys for the future? Are they worth being pieces as we kind of rebuild the, the organization, really, in a lot of ways from the ground up? But fortunately for them, they're going to get some help pretty quickly. They've got uh, six picks in the first three rounds, uh, at this year's draft, and so there'll be uh, plenty of action there for them. The fact that they have three second-round picks next year, I would not be surprised to see them package that up and try and move up into the first round and, and get two first-rounders uh, and, and try and see what they can do from there. For me, the guy to watch going forward is anybody that plays with Drew Doughty. So right now that's Matt Roy who uh, moves up to that role. He's got 17 points in 63 games played. He's been able to get uh, shots on goal in 
each of the last four games, which is a good sign. Eight shots of, uh, on goal in those four games, so at least two per game is the average. And he's a physical force, too, with uh, regular contributions in that category if you're looking for, for that stat in your pools as well. This guy is going to log 20-plus minutes a game going forward. You mentioned al- already the impact or lack of impact of Trevor Moore. Only two goals, no helpers in uh, in his time with L.A. Very low shots on goal rate here. I'm surprised by that because this guy looked like a dynamic player whenever he was given a chance to get some ice time with the Leafs I thought he would get more of that in LA but it's not really translating into scoring center on the second line for LA has been a bit of an issue all year long Gabriel Velarde you mentioned him too he debuted last week in that spot with two points uh, but then he was blanked in in the last two games he played in a busy week for the for the Kings and uh, they're also looking at Martin Furk who turned some heads at the uh, all-star game in the AHL with the hardest shot competition uh, he's looked good of late though five goals and one helper in the 10 games that he's played in LA it's audition time on in Hollywood and uh, at least for uh, at least Furk and uh, uh, Villardi are looking good in that regard Minnesota Wild this is a team that has been treading water on the fringe of playoff participation but really not not a serious threat. Devin Dubnik is a guy that they've been relying on uh, when uh, this team has been in the hunt in the past few years. This year is no different. He's back now after a turn on the IR. Seven goals against in his first two games played. They'll need him to be much better than that down the stretch to fan their fading playoff hopes. I'm also watching Alex Galchenyuk. This guy's running out of options, AJ. Uh, He's getting a look at center on the third line role. Has points in three points in his last three games played. Kevin Fiala's been on fire here. Bill toward a career high in points as a right winger on the top line cheap value on dfs play but riding with a hot stick right now and on defense much the same can be said for Jonas Brodin on pace for the first 30 point season the highest shots on goal rate for his career too the wild were another one of those teams that didn't make any moves at the deadline and it really seems aj that they were hamstrung in that regard yeah it sounds like uh you know zach parisi was potentially on his way uh to the islanders in in kind of a a complicated deal there or at least that's how it's been described by by the gms on both sides that uh there was something in the works uh, but they just couldn't figure out the details so now parisi gets to go back to work uh (laughs) for a club that clearly was looking to to ship him out I'm a little surprised that nothing materialized with Brodine uh, or uh, Matt Dumba, both of whose names have been brandied around. You mentioned them being handcuffed a little bit. Miko Koivu uh, said right away he wasn't going to waive his no movement clause. So uh, he was uh, obviously not uh, not going anywhere yesterday either. So really uh, a bit of a tough situation there. They did get uh, the return uh, with Jason Zucker but otherwise have kind of had to, you know, just stick with what, what they've got. And, you know, I would guess uh, Galchenyuk, this is an audition to see what sort of money he can get next season. Yes, he's 26 years old right now, so he'll certainly get a deal. But I would be surprised if it approaches his $4.9 million hit that he's getting right now. I expect him uh, to, to see that go down. The Montreal Canadiens made a few uh, mostly departures here. They brought in um, a, a prospect, uh, an Aaron Luchuk, who kind of has been bandied around. He was traded just <laughs> like a week ago uh, as part of another deal. And then they picked up uh, some picks, a fifth, uh, fourth, and a seventh rounder. Uh, and they let some pieces go here that, that weren't really going to help them in the, in the long term. Uh, and then, of course, 
uh, you know, uh, they had uh, the big deal with the Capitals. We'll talk about that when we when we get to them. Um, but for the most part, they were sellers at this point, and that really shouldn't be a surprise uh, for this team, given where they are in the standings uh, and how how the season has fared for them thus far. So I, I'm not surprised that they didn't re- they they didn't add much. Um, a little bit uh, disappointed in terms of the the return that they got for for most of their picks, but otherwise, uh, I think a, a solid day for them to to really try and build. Uh, towards the future here you know what the next nhl draft is in montreal and they might as well leave a chair on the stage for mark bergevin they've got a whole bunch of draft choices but aj the last time they picked a player up in the draft before nick suzuki was brendan gallagher in 2010 that's how poor their draft record has been in the last nine years they've got to write that and do it quickly to to fix things in montreal because the on ice product looks like it's going to miss the playoffs once again and they're in the doldrums of a, of a historic uh, run of non-playoff participation in Montreal that the fan base is really not too happy about. You've got to add Jonathan Drouin's $5.5 million cap hit for the next three years to a list of worst deals in the NHL right now. The guy has no points in his last seven games played. He was supposed to be the next big French-Canadian guy here. It's just not happening, is it? Best news here, as I mentioned, Nick Suzuki having a fine rookie season. He's reached the 40-point mark, and that's great news here for a team that is desperate for some young players to to change the course of this team. Another guy who's failed in this regard, in my opinion, this year is, is Max Domi. He had a very nice season for this club last year with a 73-point campaign, but he's really not even going to come close to that. He has snapped out of a long funk of late with four points in his last four games played and needs to finish strong to even challenge for a top six role here. That's how far his stock has dropped this season. Another bit of good news and a guy, a player that I'm thinking that a lot of fans are glad he stuck around is Jeff Petrie. Another 40-point season in the bank, but to tell you about the defensive uh, Nate, uh, struggles of this team it's the third straight minus season that he's about to register in his career with the club minus 12 that doesn't get mentioned as much as his offensive upside but it is indicative of the fact that the montreal canadians are just not that good the nashville predators 1-1 and 1 was the record last week finally ryan ellis came back to the lineup aj and it's been a long time coming that they missed one of their signature pieces uh, on the defensive side of the puck this has been the strength of this team and with ellis missing it certainly hurt the structure of this team kyle tourist is a guy that we both lamented much of the season aj he's getting more time than all others right now but it's not translating no points in his last three games played center ice has been a black hole here despite the fact that they have some pretty good talent in the middle when you consider duchene and johansson as the other options here none of the three are delivering and they've spent a lot of money in that regard so if they're uh, looking for a reason to point at the lack of success you don't have to look any further than the middle of the ice here yeah, I definitely uh, think that, you know, they're a team that is kind of, again, um, not really sure where they are in the standings right now. They didn't do much here at the deadline. Um, they have a, a, a ton of games in hand on, on Arizona, so that will certainly help them try and track them down uh, for to be specific. And they're only two points back, so certainly they're not out of it. Um, I was a little surprised by by the move, the one move that they made yesterday in in uh, getting Corbinian Holzer, uh, Holzer from uh, Arizona for or Anaheim rather for Matt Irwin in, in a six round pick, only because I'm not real sure that 
Holzer has that much more chance of getting into this lineup than Matt Irwin did. Um, you know, maybe he pushes Yannick Weber or, or Jared Tornardi, uh, uh, rather. Um, but Dan Hamhuis is is there as well, and I think he'll be a factor. Either way, uh, if Holzer does play, he's not going to be in the top four. That's locked in now that you know Ellis and Yossi and Ekholm and, and Dante Fabro will make up that group. So even his minutes will be minimal. So I was a little surprised by this move. I, I didn't really think it added much to them. One team I was not surprised with in terms of their moves, that's the New Jersey Devils. Uh, they they send off Wayne Simmons, uh, Louis Domingue, Sammy Vatanen, uh, and got some decent return for those. Uh, this team has really built uh, for, for the future, I think. They've got three first-round picks coming up this season. Um, you know, depending on, on conditions there. And I think they will be very happy at, at, at draft time uh, there, uh, you know, in New Jersey. I, I think they've done a good bit of business here and should be all set uh, for next season. I, I think the Sammy Vatanen deal, especially considering he's been out with an injury, uh, looks even better in terms of what they were able to get back there. And then, you, you know, to be able to move a guy like Domingue, who obviously – uh, is going to want, uh, you know, top minutes here and, and get more of a, a prospect guy. And Zane McIntyre, I think, was a good deal for them as well. So all around have liked what they've pulled off in New Jersey. And one of the guys who's a great DFS play right now is Mackenzie Blackwood in the Nets, AJ. He's on a six-game win streak, only seven goals against. And I note that even in tonight's lineups, he's one of the cheaper goalies to be had. And they have a very favorable matchup when you look at the, the slate for this evening's games. We'll get to it a little bit later. Nico Heischer's point in his last four games played since coming off the IR. It's been a tough year for him. Uh, certainly the lack of talent around him has been a bit of a factor. He needs uh, better wings right now. He must feel like Sen- Matt Sundin did in some years with the Leafs playing on the helicopter line, you know, with no wings. <laughs> Jesper Bratt playing second line left wing minutes is heating up, though. Four points in his last three games played, looking good there. Damon Severson is a guy that I've touted all year long. He's the top-scoring D here by, by default now that Vatnin's out the door. Ten goals uh, and 30 points likely on his ledger uh, again this season. And uh, the plus-minus certainly not there, but it's not because of him necessarily. It's the defense, the structure of this team that's been lacking. One of the guys that's uh, looking like another bad contract uh, league-wide, Corey Schneider, two more years at $6 million dollars a real bad year for the lowest team on the cap friendly website the lowest team in terms of spending money out the door you simply can't make a mistake of that magnitude it's not a good return for a guy who's played nine games this year with a 4.65 goals against average And the New York Islanders are next, AJ. They're 2-2 two and two last week. Jean-Gabriel Peugeot signed a six-year deal with an average value of $5 million a year. They didn't waste any time locking this guy up. He's one of the prime possession, prize possessions at the trade deadline that was moved, and uh, the Islanders certainly capitalized. Jordan Smaltz was a lesser-known option that they added to the mix, a guy that Lou Lamorello was somewhat familiar with from his time in Toronto. He arranged for Smaltz to get in, into the Toronto organization, so he must have liked a little bit something of about him it all, all these moves they cost them mostly from the Pajot deal uh, a number of draft picks they surrendered a first rounder a, a second rounder uh, in this draft as well and a conditional third rounder all to Ottawa Senators a team that we'll get to shortly that's amassed a few uh, 
trade uh, bargaining chips at the draft table uh, in June. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do there. But uh, your thoughts on the Islander situation? Before I get to you, though, Semyon Varlamov looks locked in here. Uh, he's having another run like he did earlier in the season with 13 goals against in his last seven games played. They're all in a row. So he's really on fire right now, delivering the goods. Josh Bailey, though, on the flip side, trending down for a second straight year. This guy was a top-scoring winger in the league a couple of seasons ago, and he's in danger now of losing a top-six wing role here. I think what's what's interesting about the, the Peugeot uh, edition is the fact that we've talked about this team needing more, uh, you know, more from depth scoring and that it really hasn't been there. And I think he addresses that need entirely. There have been some people that have said that they gave up, you know, too much to, to get Peugeot in. And I really don't think that's the case. I, I think the deal is manageable, $5 million a year. Um, and so I, th- I think they can live with that. The best part about this is that 2022 conditional third round pick, they only have to send to Ottawa if they win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a fair trade. I'll give you a third round pick to win the Stanley no Cup. No kidding. <laughs> so, you know, and the, the first round pick uh, is is uh, lottery protected, but, you know, the goal is to make the postseason this year. And so then your pick's not even, uh, you know, in the mix for that. So um, I really think, uh, yeah, a steep price, but this is a team trying to win right now. They added Andy Green as well heading in. So overall, uh, I think a, a, a good a good set of business for the Islanders. On the Rangers side uh, of New York here, they uh, addition, you know, without subtraction here by signing Chris Kreider to that long uh, seven-year deal. They'll lock him up for the future. I think that was great for them. They also uh, they moved off Brady Skay, which you know a lot of people are going to be uh, a little bit disappointed in. But they do get a, a first round pick back from from making that deal. And the fact of the matter is, in order to fit uh, you know some other pieces under the cap, they had to do something. This will allow them to give uh, Anthony D'Angelo the raise that he deserves. You also have guys like Ryan Strom is going to need a new contract. So uh, there's some big, uh, you know, big uh, advantages to moving off Brady Skay. And the fact that they got a solid, uh, you know, pick back is huge for them. I think the biggest concern for this club right now is actually unrelated to that. And Igor Shesterkin suffers a, a rib injury in a, in a car crash on, on Sunday. Um, you know, I think they'll go Alexander Georgiev for the most part, but Henrik Lundqvist is still on this team. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them split much of the workload down the stretch here uh, for the Rangers. Yeah, that's a tough blow for Shesterkin for sure, but it gives some more clarity to the goaltending situation going forward. Now you're going you're gonna to see a really good cameo for Georgiev to see what he can do for his status in the offseason. At the very minimum, he becomes a very nice bargaining chip at the trade table for the Rangers should they hold on to King Henrik. You mentioned uh, that they're not necessarily married to him like we thought he might, they might be, so their real decision there centered around the goaltending going forward. There are a number of capable offensive defensemen here, AJ. We've talked about them all year long, but one thing we haven't talked about is Jacob Truba. I thought this guy should be miles ahead of the pack in terms of the offense that he was expected to provide here. He's had a bit of a subpar year in my estimation, 27 points and a minus 10. That's not enough for the big $8 million cap hit that he eats up. So between his $8 million and uh, Kreider's $6.5 million, 
Lundqvist, $8 million. There's a lot of money tied up there, and, and you know, you can argue that maybe only one of these guys is a top-end guy, and uh, yeah, it just underscores what I've long said. You can't make mistakes at the draft table, and that's a nice segue into the Ottawa situation here because I implied that they did do some damage at the, dra- at the trade deadline, amassing a number of picks. Consider that they picked up a conditional first-rounder from the Islanders, uh, another second-rounder from the Islanders, fourth round in 2021 and fifth round in 2025 a conditional third in 2022 they also added matthew pekka a fringe depth forward from the montreal canadians out the door we saw peugeot and nemesnikov and ennis as the name recognition types in fleeing the ottawa circumstance they might have just ran out of the of the parking lot there (laughs) to get away from that to a better situation around the league in terms of better situations we wish the best for bobby ryan he's coming back from a long rehab stint from a substance abuse issue he's got two more years left at a 7.2 million cap hit and maybe this will be the springboard the fact that he came out of the rehab circumstance gives him a newer lease on life and we might see uh, a return to the best days of bobby ryan from much younger in his career i certainly wish him well on a personal level chris tierney and colin white will see more minutes in the middle of the ice after the peugeot trade they'll get longer looks in at the center role anders nelson is back at practice and that's going to help the goaltending brigade Nilsson did carry the load before he got hurt and I expect once he gets a couple of reps in they're going to lean on him down the stretch to see if he can be a number one guy going forward Nick Paul is another guy making an impact as a left winger on the third line a nice shots on goal rate and this guy's pushing for a bigger rigor roll with the departure of a couple of veteran players maybe there's room for him as I mentioned they did take the loss last night Connor Brown picking up a couple of goals I've got a lot of time for him he's an honest player and he's had a very nice season in Ottawa as I I expected Colin White getting the other single and in the nets there was a 41 save effort for the netminder there so good news on the Ottawa front from the from the draft table going forward is the highlight of what's happening at the Canadian nation's capital yeah absolutely and if you you know if you think Montreal should get their own chair permanently on the stage uh, I think Ottawa might just get their own podium from which to make announcements um, they've got three picks in the first round here uh, two of which are uh, good chances to be in the top three here with their own pick and the San Jose Sharks pick from the Eric Carlson deal then they'll be back for four more picks in the second round. So, you know, a total of seven picks in the first two rounds, plus two more in the third as well. Uh, you know, this is a team that will be very active. And as you said, the question is, can they actually do something with it? Uh, that remains to be seen. It's a team that, um, you know, has been hit or miss and, and more often miss of late. If, if we're going to be blunt about it here, we'll move on to the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, They added a couple of depth pieces up the middle in Nate Thompson and Derek Grant. I think they're solid acquisitions for the Flyers here. Um, They were getting Shane Goss's bear back potentially, so I don't think they needed to do anything on the blue line, uh, at least not anything substantial. I think the biggest kind of takeaway for me in the fact that they added a pair of centers means they're not really planning on having Nolan Patrick play any games this year, maybe late in the season, but you don't add two, uh, you know, depth centers to an organization. If you expect to get a guy like Nolan Patrick pack at some point here. So it is obviously unfortunate uh, that he is going to miss most, uh, if not all of the season here, but overall, 
a good day for the Philadelphia Flyers adding uh, in positions that they needed to. And they really, in my opinion, did not get a VUP uh, too much to, to do that. Yeah, one of the other conclusions from their moves is that Claude Giroux looks like he's going to be staying in the left wing role where he's had a lot of success in the last year and a half. So he'll be bringing out fixture on the left side on the on the top of the unit there. Gostas Bear, you mentioned that he's ready to return from the IR. Their defensive is, has been scoring of late uh, in his absence. We've talked a lot about a couple other guys, but Travis Sanheim merits a bit of a mention with four points in his last five games played and a very cheap DFS uh, option recently. I've capitalized on that for uh, some nice efforts from him most uh, in the last few days. The Pittsburgh Penguins, I'm dying to know what you have to say about this team. They were 1-3 and three last week, one of the poorest weeks they've had all year long. Patrick Marlowe fulfills a childhood fantasy and joins this club. I'm really happy for him. He's going to get another chance to win, it, win the, the title and uh, doing it in a team that he cheered for as a little guy. While uh, Rodriguez and Shiri add more forward depth as well, I think it's a really good move that the Pittsburgh Penguins did to fortify their top nine offensively. It affords them the opportunity to move Jared McCann back in into a more appropriate center role on the third line unless they decide to use Rodriguez there. Uh, McCann's been a really nice solution for a lot of issues that the, the Pens have had all season long offensively. I'm a little concerned about the goaltending. We talked about them in glowing terms for much of the season, but they allowed they sprung a leak a bit collectively last week, allowing 13 goals in the three last three games played after a strong run in their previous eight that we highlighted last week. Uh, in terms of things that I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to have seen them pick up another defenseman, AJ, but you're the Pittsburgh Penguins guy. I, I want to hear what you have to say about the P- Pittsburgh situation. Yeah, in terms of the blue line, I, I disagree. I don't think they needed to add anything. And in, in, um, the conversation was that on, on Saturday, Jim Rutherford was going to get reports on when he could expect Brian Dumoulin and John Marino back in the lineup. Obviously, those were decent enough that he didn't feel he needed to add to the to the blue line. You know, I think heading into the postseason with a guy like Ruido and Ricola as your seventh and eighth defenseman, I think you're totally fine there. Brian Dumoulin will bring out the best in Chris Letang. John Marino and Jack Johnson have actually paired up really well. And then that leaves you with a third pairing of Marcus Patterson and Justin Schultz. So really health is a bigger question mark here um, on that blue line than, than adding anything. The Patrick Marlowe deal, I absolutely love. This is another one where uh, that conditional third uh, becomes a second if the Penguins win the cup. They can certainly have it uh, <laughs> from, from my standpoint. I would love to give the Sharks a second-round pick, and we're talking 2021 uh, and, and not this season. I agree with you. The, the addition of Marlowe, uh, Sherry, and, and, and Rodriguez allows them to move Jared McCann back to the third-line center role that they've been looking for uh, for a while. Uh, the reports I've heard on, on Evan Rodriguez suggest that he is a Dominic Simone-type player, except with a stronger finishing uh, touch. So certainly, um, you know, that could be – it'll be interesting to see what they do at practice today. Uh, one option is that you have a third line made up of Marlowe, McCann, and Sherry, uh, which would be phenomenal, although there has been a lot of talk about how much Crosby enjoyed playing with Connor Sherry when he was there. And the fact of the matter is the Penguins moved him out because of cap concerns, not because of performance issues. So they could uh, switch something up there and and put Sherry on a top line with Crosby and Zucker. Uh, Plenty of options. We'll see how it shakes out the first day of practice here. 
Uh, moving on to the defending champs, the St. Louis Blues, no additions for them at the deadline. They already made kind of their one minor adjustment in, in bringing in Marco Scandella uh, a couple of days ago to, to bolster the blue line that is without Jane Bowmeister still. I think maybe if you're being really picky, you consider bringing in a, a depth forward, but I would imagine that they took a good hard look at what Vladimir Tarasenko's uh, return date is going to be. I think the fact that they didn't add anything here at the deadline would indicate to me that he's going to play again uh, before uh, the postseason. that they'll get him back in the regular season. So uh, some, some good signs there. I think if they thought he was going to be out through uh, you know, the post or into the postseason, then maybe they make an addition here. But I think this is a club that didn't really need to do a whole lot. And I, I think they're set to go for the future here. Yeah, I was a little concerned about their depth down the middle, but it really Tarasenko's return holds the key here. AJ, I expect Braden Shen to move back to the middle and Tarasenko gets his spot on the right wing when he does slot back into the lineup. The champs are ready to go and defend their title. Jordan Bennington, for his part, faced a total of 31 shots over a two-game stretch, both shutouts recently to show you they've really got a handle on the button-down nature of their defense structure. He also stopped 34 shots in a third straight win that they recorded of the four last week. Marco Scandella has been a nice two-way add on this defense, already playing upwards of 20 minutes a game. This is maybe one of the best six-packs on the blue line that any team has around the league. But there is one thing that I have been scratching my head on, and that's Justin Falk not fitting in like I expected. No points in his last nine games played. This guy's got another fat contract that it's just going to kick in next next year, and it's probably going to cost him Alex Pietrangelo. That's the only fly in the ointment that I see in uh, St. Louis right now. A team that's at the other end of the spectrum, the San Jose Sharks. They went 0-4 last week, and boy, AJ, all of a sudden, a trip to the uh, left coast is going to be a real boon for visiting clubs in the next year or two just like it has been all season long the sharks are in for a massive rebuild in my estimation they could even couldn't even move joe thornton at the deadline for me that's a big failure this is a chance to give one of the league's venerable players a shot at a, a playoff run much the same as patrick marlowe i think they should have done joe thornton the same service i can't believe they couldn't have found a place to send him and uh, unfortunately that's the situation here in san jose they have a very bleak future Martin Jones has been uh, terrible in the Nets much of the season, but he's he's pressing for more of a goalie share of late in a, in the only battle that bears watching, I guess, if you're looking for a goalie wins late in the season for your roster. Jones may again be the guy in St. Louis. He's had three good starts and only allowed five goals against in those efforts. Yeah, I mean, imagine if your upcoming West Coast swing was the Kings, the Ducks, and the Sharks. Right. Uh, you'd be wanting to walk away with uh, six points from that, which is what I'm hoping Pittsburgh does this uh, this upcoming week because that's exactly what they have coming up. I think the best deal that they made here was Barkley Gaudreau. Uh, they get a first-round pick out of Tampa. Yes, they had to give uh, a third uh, to make that deal, and uh, but I think overall a, a good piece of business there. But I agree, uh, not moving Joe Thornton, although you know he had uh, that no movement clause, so maybe he was being uh, a little picky on on that front and, and didn't want to kind of go there. Um, I think you summed it up well, so I'll just dive in to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were very active. Uh, yesterday or the last couple of days in, in trying to do some work here. They got Barclay Gaudreau. They did have to give up a, a, a first rounder, but as I said, they got a third rounder back. So it was more of a, uh, you know, just moving back in the draft. 
Uh, you look at some of the other moves they made. We talked about the the uh, Blake Coleman move. I think that was a solid one for them. Uh, and so overall, I think this team is set up well uh, to to make another run here and and hopefully not have to uh, be bounced in the first round. I think they've got. You know, Goudreau is going to play a bottom six role for them, but he had been playing first line center. So certainly is capable of the workload. Blake Coleman, as I said, is is set to be a second line center or a second line wing rather. And so really uh, they've got four quality lines uh, here that all have offensive upside and can play solid defensively and they don't have to be that good defensively with with Vasilevsky in the net so I think uh, all signs pointing to a deep run here for the Lightning they're certainly going to be a hard team to beat in the postseason absolutely and I love the fact that they went out and they claimed uh, Zach Bogosian that's going to bolster their back end and also provide some much needed toughness to this roster and with the addition of Goudreau they've also got a second guy uh, up, up front who now adds to the muscle that they can bring when they're, they're looking on a, on a collision course with the Boston Bruins in the second round. Who's kidding who here? I mean, this loyal Leaf fan will, will even admit that right now. Uh, Braden Point is on a season-high 12-game point streak for this club. They were 1-2 and two last week. I'm a little bit concerned. If you've got one concern here. I think it's on the defense. Injuries to to three experienced blue liners in McDonough, Ruta, and Cernak are a bit of a concern for me, AJ. Uh, depth guys are all speed challenged uh, on this blue line, and that might be a thing to exploit when you get uh, into the home ice matchups where you can avoid the top pairings here. You might want to take a shot at putting your best guys out against this trio and uh, hope that you can score enough to offset what they do offensively. Anthony Sorelli is a player who may be a key to their success or failure here. He's now uh, risen to the ranks as a second-line center here, and uh, I wonder if he continues to hold that role, role or will they move Stamkos back to the middle in uh, preparation for the postseason. Well, this brings us to the league's Jekyll and Hyde team, AJ, my own favorite club, the Maple Leafs. <laughs> they were 1-2 and two last week, and boy, they took me on a hell of a roller coaster ride against your team. I was ticked off to no end with that first game, and then I was riding high with the second win, and then on Saturday, they lose to a Zamboni driver unbelievable stuff could only happen here it just adds to the lore of this team in terms of the spectacular way that they screw things up from time to time and they've done so for almost my whole life it's crazy <laughs> they uh, added a, a familiar face of the trade deadline Callie Rosen coming back you know what I'm I'm a little higher on this guy than most people most observers certainly it doesn't look good when Carol Colorado says you know what the guy that you sent us in the along with Kadri, didn't really fit in here. You can have him back, and that's essentially the nature of the deal when you consider that Michael Hutchin was, Hutchinson was the only piece going back the other way. So that was one bit of business. They did acquire a 2025th-round pick, essentially for picking up $1.1 million of the Robin Leonard's deal. The Robin Leonard era in Toronto didn't last very long. Uh, we would have <laughs> loved to get to know him a little bit better. Uh, prospects went out the door the other way. Jordan Smalls and Martin Zirkels that weren't going to fit into the Leaf situation. So really tinkering around the edges. This was a loud message from management saying, okay, you guys that are on this roster, you got to really show us who you are, and we're going to sink or swim with you. And if we sink, there's going to be changes. And AJ... Like I said, if they make the playoffs, they get Boston or, or Tampa in the first round. They're going to be cannon fodder for those teams. And so it's <laughs> going to be a short spring, I think, for me. Uh, I'm also a little bit disillusioned by Jake Muzzin's contract. Look, a fine, serviceable, experienced player on the blue line, north of 30 years of age. 
on the backside of his career. He's already got two Stanley Cup rings. He'd love to get a third one in, in uh, his home province here. But $5.6 million for each of the next four years, I don't care if it's front-loaded. This is a bad contract. Yeah, I, I I felt like it was a little high as well when I saw it. But, you know, you you got to pay uh, what the market price is there. And, you know, we've been seeing D... Uh, taking a, a a bigger and bigger share of it. So, um, but I agree. Given his age and and the amount of term on that, um, I I think they may come to regret that a little bit down the stretch. I I did find it interesting that you know uh, the Leafs basically bought a fifth round pick. Uh, mm-hmm. They they uh, they'll pay a, a minimal amount of money because the deal uh, is just through this year and it's prorated. Um, you know, so it, it won't cost him much. Uh, I think the the last figure I saw was about a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred twenty thousand. It's a million. Uh, well, okay, I'll I'll take your word for it. But what it's I was Canadian in, dollars. Maybe it's a hundred thousand U.S. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, in terms of what they kept plus the proration for like actual dollars that they're going to pay, um, but still. I think the fact that they only had three picks in the first five rounds uh, in this year's draft uh, might have factored into that a little bit. They still only have one second round pick in the first three rounds, so they're not going to be adding much in terms of depth from that standpoint. So really, um, as you said, a, a kind of quiet, a quiet day for them. For the Vancouver Canucks, it, it was a quiet day here as well um, prior to, to today. Uh, just bringing in Louis Domingue, and that's really a move that was precipitated by the fact that it sounds like they're going to be without Markstrom uh, for three to four weeks right now um, due to a knee injury. And and that's certainly a, a big, uh, big hit to a team that's trying to make the playoffs again for the first time in, in many, many years. Um, I think they're it's maybe a, a patch that's not really going to help them as much as they want it to. Um, and certainly it puts the already, uh, you know, uh, competitive Pacific or, or up for grabs Pacific rather, I'll put it that way, uh, even more, uh, into flux here. And I think there's a lot of teams, uh, that will be biting at their heels here for, for that top six spot. And it's certainly possible that they could see themselves not only drop out of the top three in the Pacific, but maybe struggle to get a, a wildcard spot here, uh, with that goalie injury, uh, and, and the number of, uh, others, you know, problems that this team is having right now. And, and Troy Stetcher's name was tossed around. He didn't move. There was talk that they were going to try and move, um, uh, a couple other guys here as well. And, and, and it really just didn't materialize. So a bit of a stand pat for them, uh, for a team that I think could have done more. They obviously had the Toffoli addition, uh, but uh, he'll be a UFA next year. Whether or not they can convince him to stay around remains to be seen. Yeah, you know what? That Markstrom injury is a crippling blow for this team if he does come back and continue what uh, fabulous season that he's enjoyed. But uh, indications are that it could be a few weeks. Uh, the knee, a tricky situation. Uh, we hope that he, for his sake, does return to the lineup because he holds the key to Vancouver's playoff hopes. This team, prior to that injury, looked like they were ready to go for a long playoff run. They didn't wait for the deadline to do all their tinkering, AJ. In addition to the external moves, adding to Foley, Miller, and Pearson during the course of the season up front, and Fantenberg and Domingue on the, uh, on the back end and in net, 
there was internal improvement from the likes of Ericsson and Vertan and two guys that have been in the doghouse all season long. So when all that bit of good news is put all together, you think this team is primed for a playoff run of some consequence. But you couple the injury with Markstrom to the fact that Brock Besser could be done for the year, and it's really an outlook has changed almost 180 degrees in the last uh, two days. So very tough circumstance for the Vancouver Canucks and their fans who were excited about a possible playoff run that may be very short considering the situation with those two guys. The Vegas Golden Knights are primed for a long run it seems they went 4-0 and last week the center flip of Stastny and Carlson that I highlighted a week ago sparked this offense to some great numbers during the course of the past seven days Shea Theodore uh, is also a guy that I've been high on all season long and he's uh, headed for a career high in points for a season and Nate Schmidt is right there about to follow suit as well that's an aspect aspect that's not a concern here anymore for me when looking at the strengths and weaknesses of the Vegas Golden Knights defense scoring was an issue in my mind that they have solved right now and they've solved it internally I love the addition of Robin Leonard he's a guy who's going to be great insurance as well as incentive to Mark Andre Fleury whose game has uh, been up and down in my estimation this year AJ I know you're chairman of the flurry fan club but you have to admit <laughs> this is, has not been a banner goal a banner season for the goalie uh i also note that the nick cousins is a nice addition to the center depth here for a team expecting a long playoff run they've certainly bolstered themselves yeah i mean you look at uh you know flurry's workload of late he hasn't really had a ton of nights off um you know given uh that that they haven't really felt confident in in malcolm suban there so uh overall in their last 16 or, or rather 17 games he's played in 14 of them that's a really heavy workload which is something that flurry uh, in general has been used to but i think having uh, Mrazic will allow them to give him a few extra nights off uh, and spell them a little bit although you know you're you knocked his uh, his game of ladies riding a four game winning streak right now seems to be back on track as I said, uh, he eventually would be. Um, in terms of their overall deals, like I said, Lerner I think was a fantastic addition for them and really gives them arguably one of the best uh, goaltending tandems in the league uh, and I, I think can really benefit them in, in the long run here. And then, you know, obviously they already added Alec Martinez to shore up the, the blue line. I think this team is uh, was a good hockey team heading into the you know the stretch run here and I think they just got better uh, in terms of another team that potentially got better the Washington Capitals uh, in terms of deadline day deals technically they had just the one in Christian Jews for Daniel Sprung uh, kind of a minor league deal there but the big one came uh, the night before and adding Ilya Kovalchuk uh, to this roster i expect him to potentially start out it looks like a third line uh, role with lars eller and carl Hagelin, but certainly he could be in the mix up and down this lineup and certainly will add some power play help there um, and I, then i didn't even mention they added brendan Dillon earlier so overall a good uh, chunk of business for this team i think they're going to be really hard to beat and it goes to show what I was saying earlier about a Metro division that just added all of the top players here and really is doing everything they can to compete. Uh, it's a bit of keeping up with the Joneses right now, and it'll be interesting to see who comes out 
uh, of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it looks like it's been an arms arms race here in the last month between a, a few teams in this division. AJ, you mentioned Ilya Kovalchuk. This guy, I got to give him credit for reinventing himself with a little motivation in Montreal. He's get, got even more motivation now that he's joined with his longtime pals Ovi and Backstrom in that lineup. I'm a bit troubled on the flip side, though, by Braden Holtby's recent record. In fact, his recent his season record as well, all season long. Ten goals against in his last three games. This is not a recent trend. This guy is headed for his worst goals against and save percentage in his entire career. So he's got to turn that around uh, in order for this team to have the playoff success that we anticipate. Early indications are that Brendan Dillon will be partnered with John Carlson. That's great insulation for the league's top offensive-minded blue liner to get a shutdown defender, a tough guy like Dillon, to be his new sidekick. I think that's a great fit going forward. Look, this roster is deep and it's at full strength, a rarity for any club uh, at this late stage of the season. That's another thing in, in the Caps favor as the postseason does near. We wind up our look with uh, the Winnipeg Jets as always. Anthony Bitetto and Tucker Pullman are getting more ice time as the bottom pairing here because of injuries with Josh Morrissey, the latest casualty on the blue line. He's only day-to-day though, unlike a couple other guys on this roster. The Jets didn't really do anything of any consequence at the deadline, AJ, but uh, you, can all, you, you can all dump your Bufflin shares because uh, one thing has been determined in the last few days that he won't play at all this season. You wonder if there's any future for him in the NHL going forward, but that's a summertime topic at the very uh, earliest, I think. Cody Eakman, Eakin is a guy that uh, will solidify the center position on the third line role here. Uh, nice pickup from uh, from the Vegas Knights. Uh, an ear injury uh, to Brian Little that was thought to be not so serious. Turns out that he's going to miss the rest of the way. So Andrew Kopp is a guy who's been productive in a top six center role. And uh, with Wheeler move back, moving back to the right wing, I think that's a better look for this team. And uh, they're getting ready what, for what they hope is a playoff run too with uh, this revamping of the forward units yeah i think you're right in in the fact that um you know their their additions have been minor in in dylan demello and cody eakin but overall i think they could have uh, a longer uh ranging impact for this club you mentioned andrew cop going to get the first look at the second line center i think cody eakin certainly will be in the mix to compete with him uh, and I like the idea of moving Wheeler back, letting either Cop or Eakin kind of solidify that that number two center role to play with Kyle Connor and, and Patrick Line. So really, um, I think it's a solid add for them. Uh, they certainly haven't needed any help in the nets, although maybe there was some rumblings about um, a backup netminder here other than Laurent Brossois. Um, but overall, I think a good uh, round of business there. Uh, Paul, I'll just dive right into it for us. Uh, you know, we have been doing our FanDuel segments all year long, and it's been really a great uh, great addition to the show and, and I think great, uh, you know, time that we've had playing. Uh, over two and a half million players have won cash prizes playing on FanDuel. Uh, and so certainly we invite all of you to, to join us if you haven't already. Looking at today's lineup optimizer, uh, not a ton of heavy stacks of any one team, uh, which is a little bit interesting. That's been kind of a favorite um, of the optimizer at late, but it starts with Connor McDavid at 8,700, paying up the the big money for him, but certainly hard to blame them, especially if he's going to get a speedy winger like AA to play with them. And then the optimizers going with Eric Halla um, now playing for Florida second line set potentially for a second power play group. And he's coming in at just 3,800 uh, for them. So a bit of a bargain there. 
The optimizer goes back to Edmonton with Leon Dreisaitl at 8,700, and then it likes Nikita Kucherov at 8,300. Um, so obviously paying up big for those two wingers has to do a high-low. Optimizer currently spitting out 3,700-valued Frank Vetrano for the Florida Panthers. Third-line role, potentially second power play. And then if he plays tonight, so you'll definitely want to check back on that. But Bobby Ryan for Ottawa coming in at just 3,000. Uh, looked like he might play yesterday. They decided to hold him out a little bit longer. I don't know if he'll get into the second game of the back-to-back tonight. But at $3,000 for a guy set for second-line minutes, I think, is a steal. On defense, the optimizer will go Roman Yossi, 6,400. And then Thomas Shabbat, who's had a bit of a down year this year, but still can produce uh, on any given night, 5,300 for him. And then in the nets, the optimizer, a bit of a risky play, honestly, in my opinion, but it likes uh, him at 7,200 facing Boston tonight. So not sure if that's a decision that I would make personally. But you save a bit of money, and that's how you get to put in guys like McDavid, Dryside, and Kucherov. So you have to kind of uh, evaluate that risk. Am I willing to take maybe a riskier, low-cost netminder to put those studs in? So that's what the optimizer spit out. Paul, what does your lineup look like tonight? Well, I'm going to say that I agree with one of the picks, and that's the guy off the top, Connor McDavid. Any chance that I can fit him in, particularly when he's in the middle of a, that attractive West Coast swing that we alluded to earlier in Anaheim tonight, I'm going to take a chance and put him into the lineup. I'm going to pair him up with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's listed as a center as well. So I'm going for Edmonton, uh, a bit of a stack there. Nugent Hopkins figures actually to line up on McDavid's left wing, according to the lineup we have. So I get him in there for 6800 bucks. I continue and fill out the Edmonton portion of my roster with Kyler Yamamoto, who's been a real spark plug here that I've liked all the way along since he came up to the big club. $4,700 his price tag. Then I move off to a uh, longtime nemesis of the lease, Brad Marchand. You know that he's got to be sting- steaming after the drubbing that this team took on, the, on Saturday night in Vancouver. $7,900 the price tag for the club's emotional leader. And uh, if the Leafs are looking for an emotional leader up front, for me it's Zach Hyman, AJ. And this is a very big game for the Maple Leafs on so many levels. They have a tough two-game trip into Florida, and they really have to make a statement, or I think you'd almost flush their season if they should lose both these games. That's how important it is to me. Zach Hyman is in there in the top six at $5,100, his price tag. Kevin Fiala, I spoke about the run that he's been on of late, $5,400 the price tag. He faces a team on the second of back-to-backs as Columbus comes calling. Jake Muzzin with that fat wallet comes into the Tampa game as a defenseman who's been scoring very regularly of late and could be good value if he continues to roll along offensively. $4,200 his price tag. I round out my uh, back end with uh, Alex Edler, who's been a power play linchpin for the Vancouver Canucks. They're going to need their offense to carry the day because their their goaltending is such a uh, tough circumstance right now. But I'm picking Edler in Montreal. The Canadians about ready to raise the white flag, I think. And uh, tonight's uh, effort could go a long way in determining that. And in net, I spoke McKenzie, of Mackenzie Blackwood in glowing terms. I'm going to ride him tonight, a $7,800 price tag for New Jersey. And uh, he's the favorite, believe it or not, in a matchup against Detroit, a team that is floundering to, uh, as I mentioned, historic levels. AJ, what's your squad look like? Well, so I'm actually going to do something fun here, and I'll, I'll tweet out maybe a more um, 
a more serious, for lack of a better term, uh, lineup here. But I wanted to do something fun and just see if I could pull it off. So what I have put together, um, with the exception of the net mining, because that wasn't really an option, is my all-trade DFS lineup tonight. <laughs> so I've built entirely from players who have been traded uh, this year. Um, so it starts with Vinny Trocek up top at 5,800 and uh, J.P. Peugeot for 5,700. I think either one of those guys is actually uh, a great play tonight at, at relatively discounted rates. On the wing, I'll start with uh, Athanasiu for 4,800, especially potentially uh, playing with Connor McDavid. I think that's a, a fantastic fit there. Blake Coleman, 4,300, set to play top six minutes with Tampa's big guns. Ilya Kovalchuk, 4,200, could get in on that top power play unit, uh, could see some time in the top six as well. I saved up so much money that instead of, uh, you know, going for uh, maybe another depth winger who was traded, I did uh, cheat a little bit, and I'll go with Taylor Hall for 7,400, but he does fit the bill as a traded player this season. On defense, Brady, uh, Brady Skay, 4,100 for Carolina. I think he could play an offensive role for them. Uh, so if you're looking for a depth defenseman, a, a good option there. And then Eric Gustafsson, 4,100 for Calgary. Another guy that could see a little bit more of an offensive role with his new club. Now, there weren't any traded goaltenders set to play tonight. Uh, I was kind of hoping maybe Mrazek would be an option here, but I, I don't think he is, unfortunately. So I went with Jordan Bennington, uh, who would probably be my netminder regardless, 8,700. He gets a matchup at home against the Blackhawks. Um, so that is my all-trade lineup. The reason I say I might push out another one later today is that I have 5,900 in salary remaining <laughs> after these guys. Um, so certainly something to consider but i will submit this lineup and and i will let our listeners know how it looks because i actually don't hate it aside from the fact that you are leaving some money on the table uh in terms of you know getting maybe some bigger studs like a mcdavid a dry side kucherov in your lineup overall i really don't hate that group so i went with a little bit of fun here in in my uh you know all all traded uh lineup today oh i love the concept aj my only word of caution is several times when there's been a player traded they don't get to their new destination in a timely Correct. manner. So you could basically set a record for futility if all of these... Can you imagine if none of these guys get to their destination? <laughs> could be an all-time low in FanDuel history. So AJ's out to make history one way or another. And I love the, <laughs> love the premise, AJ. A great way to wind up our trade deadline wrap-up. And uh, that wraps up this episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ for another week. Our next episode, a week from today, next Tuesday... As we head into March, I can't believe it. Spring training is underway in baseball, and uh, the weather's getting better around here already, AJ. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 